This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff, like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's OMRI certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man who would like to know a little bit about you for his files. Here is the captain. Or maybe I already know a lot about you. It's good to be seen and good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. This week, we are very happy to be drinking number two pencil by the beer geniuses over at 18th Street Brewery, brewing great beer for all of us in Hammond, Indiana. Number two pencil is a double dry hopped, double India pale ale, 7.5% ABV garage grade four and a quarter bottle caps out of five. And here's a big cheers to a friend of the show, Miss Dawn D in Munster, Indiana. And a big shout-out to Jessica in Atlanta, Georgia. Next up, Captain, we have a shout-out to Rebecca in Port Townsend, Washington. And a big we like your trip to Anastasia in Parts Unknown. Next up, here's a shout-out to Victor in Burlington, Washington. And last but certainly not least, we have Alex and Caroline in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Everyone we just mentioned, well, they went to our website, truecrimegarage.com, and they contributed to this week's beer fund. And for that, we thank you. Yeah, B-W-E-R-R-U-N, Beer Run. And while you're at the website, go subscribe to Off the Record. It's our bonus show on Stitcher Premium. And Colonel, that is enough of the business. All right, everybody gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. In August of 1995, the quiet, safe suburban town of Springfield, Illinois, was rocked by a shocking and horrific crime. It was a Tuesday afternoon when the following 911 call was made. 
Springer. Yes, yes. This is the police department. We've got officers en route. I need to know what's going on there. My wife is dying on the floor. Okay, is she still alive? I think so. Okay, we've got ambulance en route and we've got police officers en route. Where is the gun? I collected on the table. It's on the table. It's on the table. Please, okay. God, please come here. We've got people on the way. Okay. Who, who is this man? I don't, I don't know who he is. He's still inside the house? Yes, he's laying on the floor. Okay, you I gotta hold my wife. I gotta get to my wife. Okay, are you Mark Winger? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Okay, and your wife is Donna? Yes, she is. When did the man come here? I, I don't know, a few minutes ago. Wait, I gotta get to my wife. Please, just let me get to my wife. I won't hang up, okay? Okay, we've got officers in route. Okay, my door's open. Okay. Okay. As you heard, the man on the phone is Mark Winger. Sadly, his wife did not survive the attack. Now, two people are dead, and each were killed by someone else. Mark's wife, Donna, was brutally killed in her own home, and her killer was then gunned down and killed in self-defense. This is True Crime Garage, and this is the case of Mark and Donna Winger. On August 29, 1995, the Springfield, Illinois police received a 911 call from a distraught man at 2305 Westview Drive in a nice family neighborhood. Mark Winger was on the phone. His wife had been attacked in their home. He shot the attacker. He's requesting emergency medical technicians and the police to come immediately to his home. Mark Winger hung up on the 911 operator because, as you heard, he says his baby was crying. The responding officers found the front door of the Winger's home unlocked. This is a one-level brick ranch home. Cautiously, they walked into a very bloody murder scene. Mark Winger, the man who had called police, was crouching over a woman who lay on the floor. He was crying hysterically. The woman... Donna Winger, his wife, is lying face down. There is blood all over her. She has obvious and very violent visible head trauma. A bloody claw hammer lay nearby, next to another body. This is the body of a man with two visible gunshot wounds to his head. Police find a 45 caliber pistol lying on the dining room table. Living in the home, we have a family of three. Mark, his wife Donna, and their newborn adopted daughter Bailey. And it isn't like law enforcement has to guess how one of the people died because Mark already told them on the phone, I shot a man. Mark identifies the woman on the floor as his wife Donna. She is still alive at this time. Now EMTs rushed her to Memorial Medical Center where she herself worked as an operating room tech. Doctors recognized her, but could not save her. After 40 minutes of trying, they called it, and the time of death was 5.39 p.m. The intruder, the injured man at the scene, was somehow still alive as well, but barely, and he was dead before arriving at the hospital. An officer at the scene, this is Officer Dave Berenger, managed to shoot three photos of the bloody crime scene with a Polaroid he had in his car before the two people lying on the floor were taken away by the EMTs. Detectives Charlie Cox and Doug Williamson also arrived at the Winger home before the EMTs removed the victims. Detective Cox removed the wallet from the pocket of the male victim and took a look at his ID. He quickly surveyed the scene, but it was chaos. The EMTs were working very hard trying to save both of these individuals, and it's kind of a messy home, and there was blood everywhere. This was an incredibly bloody crime scene. And we have one of the officers saying, quote, I've been in crime scene work a long time, and there's been very few that I've had that and there's very few that I have had that was as severe and as bloody as this one was. End quote. That's from Detective Cox. That's from the great 
work that they're doing over at the show 48 hours. They needed to get to the bottom of what happened here, obviously. And Captain, we have Detective Cox and Detective Williamson. They found Mark Winger, the 911 caller. He's in his bedroom at some point during this process, rocking back and forth. He's holding a bloody T-shirt with blood on his neck and arms. Right. Police incident reports describe him as distraught, as we would expect him to be, and constantly asking how his wife was doing. Once, once they could get him to talk, he explained to them what had happened, or at least what he had seen and witnessed leading up to their arrival. Mark said that he had been on the treadmill in his basement of their home, doing his usual run around 5 p.m. This is when he heard a noise coming from the upstairs. He said it sounded like a loud thud. So he went upstairs to see what was going on and was concerned when he noticed that his three-month-old daughter, Bailey, was lying on a bed alone and crying. So then he hears Donna scream. So Mark grabs his gun from the bedside table drawer and ran down the hall toward the front door. When he came to the dining room, to his horror, Mark saw a man attacking his wife, Donna. He told the officers that he didn't recognize this man, didn't know who he was, but this man was hitting his wife on the head with a hammer. She was kneeling on the ground. The man is kind of bent over her. The man stood up when he saw Mark, looked at him, and then looked back down at Donna. Frantically, Mark aimed his gun at the man and fired it, hitting him in the head. The man fell backwards. Mark shot him again. Just seconds later, this according to the Chicago Tribune that did an expose on this case, which I heavily relied on in researching this, this episode, Mark called the police. Then he realized the guy was groaning, so he whacked him in the chest with the hammer until he was still he himself got all bloody during this process. And this is because he was frantically holding his injured wife. Now Mark told the cops that he had no idea who this man was, who the man was that he had shot. But the officers looking at the attackers ID said his name was Roger Harrington. The detectives told Mark that the dead guy was Roger Harrington and immediately Mark reacted saying, oh my God, this guy has been harassing us all week. But it seems pretty simple so far. We have a husband that's covered in blood because he's holding his dying wife. We had a intruder that comes in and attacks the wife. He stops the attack by shooting the man. The guy's not dead when, when police arrive. Like you said, later on, will die. But it seems pretty simple. And the evidence that's in front of us seems to make his story make sense. Right. Well, and of course, when he tells the police, hey, this guy's been harassing us all week, when he's told the name of the, the individual, of course, they want to know, what do you mean harassing you all week? So then Mark tells the detectives this very bizarre story. He says that up until this day, and when he walked into the room mid-murderous attack on his wife, Donna, he had never physically seen this guy, Roger Harrington, before. But that he and his wife had been having a major problem with this guy. And he tells the police that this started the week before Donna's murder, when Donna went on a week-long trip to visit her parents in Florida. So she takes their new daughter, Bailey, with her, and she stays with her mom. Her mom's name is Sarah Jan and her stepdad, which is Ira Drescher. Upon her return on August 23rd, she hires a car service. And this is so that she could have a ride for her and Bailey from the St. Louis airport all the way to their home. So she used a company called BART Transportation. And the drive would be a long one. It was approximately 100 miles from the St. Louis airport to their home. Roger Harrington, the man that is found near death, shot on their floor, the intruder and the attacker here, 
Roger Harrington was the driver of that trip. Mm-hmm. Now, after the long drive, she's dropped off, of course, at her home. This is when Donna told Mark that this Roger Harrington guy, the driver, was super weird and very inappropriate with her. Right. He talked her ear off about disturbing things like his ability to communicate with the dead and wild sex parties that he attended. He talked about some violent fantasies that he has, saying that voices were telling him to kill people, sometimes while he's at work. Yeah, that's great to hear while you're in the car. This dude's at his work. And you're in the car with your little baby. Yeah, I, I just call that a typical Tuesday. He said he had a live bomb at his house as well. And he said that he had this alter ego named Dom. And that Dom was the one telling him to hurt people. He also drove erratically during this trip, which is, I mean, even without the, the, the horrible conversation is going to be enough to set you on edge. Right. He's speeding up and slowing down. He's zipping in and out of lanes. Donna was beyond freaked out by the time that she got home. When you hear this story, it sounds unbelievable, but normally when that story is so detailed with such strange things, you tend to believe somebody even more. Yeah. So she gets home, she's beyond freaked out and she tells her husband, Mark, all about this trip. And I mean, a hundred mile trip to be hearing this guy kind of go on and on about all this crazy stuff. And a lot of it, pretty violent stuff is terrifying. That's a lot of voices in one's head. So the encounter with Roger Harrington didn't really end as one might expect when Donna got out of his car. Mark believed that Harrington became fixated on Donna and this Harrington guy starts calling the house anonymously and asking for Donna. So Donna was shaken up by this enough that Mark told her to start writing everything down so that they had some kind of record of it. Some reports are that the writing was actually a letter of complaint that would be mailed to this transportation or limo company and he himself mark called harrington's company that bart transportation to register an official complaint right this resulting in roger harrington getting suspended from the company bye-bye that very morning the morning of the the homicide mark had called roger harrington and told him to stay away from his family Police found the handwritten memo penned by Donna on the family refrigerator. It contained all the details related to them by Mark. And they verified the story with Donna's mother as well, Sarah Jane. Later, Donna's mother told the media, quote, she said the guy was really nuts talking about hearing voices and how he needed to do things to kill people, end quote. Donna had been so perturbed by the driver that she called her mom from the car. You know, while she's in this vehicle with this dude, she's calling her mom saying, hey, this guy's freaking me out. Well, again, more evidence that this story that she is telling is true. Also, Donna's friends backed up the part about the phone calls, you know, telling police, yes, she told us she's receiving these phone calls. Apparently, her friends were quite concerned, concerned enough to notify the Springfield Police Department, who actually put an officer on patrol to be on the lookout for any suspicious activity in the neighborhood. Now, clearly, this Roger Harrington guy was unhinged. A background check told police that they were on the right track. Roger Harrington didn't have much of a criminal history, but he did have a history of psychiatric problems and delusions, and he had even spent time in a mental health facility. Furthermore, he was a high school dropout, and he had a hard time holding down a job. He had mental illnesses, but you have to applaud one for trying to seek out and get help. Right. I don't know. I, I don't know if he sought out the help or if he was forced to. I, I, it's it's difficult to say unless you found something that I didn't. But Well, either way, I mean, sometimes the person that has a mental illness is incapable of seeking out help. But what I'm saying is because of the family and everybody surrounding him, at least he was trying to get treatment. 
Correct. And I think that some of that stemmed from some violent outbursts that he had had. So he had some history of violent outbursts, but I don't think he had anything on his record. No, he did have a criminal record. He had a criminal history, just not a lengthy one. Right. Now, at the time, he was living in a rented room within a trailer home owned by somebody else. So Harrington kind of falls firmly in this undesirable element of society category, unlike the wingers who were hardworking, upstanding citizens. Police theorized that the mentally unstable man blamed the wingers for the loss of his job since Mark had complained about him to his company and had maybe had gone out off of the deep end after losing this job. But that wasn't all. Detective Cox had a history with Roger Harrington, one of the officers. He happened to own a trailer park in town where Harrington had lived with his ex-wife. He said that he had to get involved in some domestic disputes between the two, and Harrington was volatile and had a bad temper. Once Cox had to pull Harrington off of his wife, this guy, you know, was bad news as far as Detective Cox was concerned. And Detective Cox had no problem believing that he could have gone over to the wingers to try to get his job back or appeal to Donna and Mark. And in the course of doing so, maybe he lost his temper and picks up a hammer and then kills Donna with it in a full-on rage attack. Of course, a death is going to have a big impact on your family, but this is not just a death. This is a murder. Yes, this is the murder of a young wife and mother. The neighbors, the winger's extended family, and everyone in the winger's circle were all flabbergasted and horrified by Donna's death. It was, of course, incredibly shocking that to everyone that she was attacked in her own home by this deranged man who was stalking her. It was especially tragic because everyone knew Mark and Donna adored each other and had a model marriage. And they finally had a family, a little girl, Bailey. They fulfilled this dream of theirs adopting a baby. Mark and Donna welcomed baby Bailey into their family just three months before Donna's murder. Now she was motherless. It says, quote, we felt terrible for him. Look what he's lost. He's lost his wife also. And then he had to turn around and shoot a man. This was from Ira Drescher. Donna's stepfather. He and his wife, Sarah Jan, unequivocally supported Mark throughout the whole ordeal and for years afterwards. Six weeks after Donna's death, Mark wrote a letter to a Springfield newspaper thanking the community for their support of him and his family throughout these tragic events. He wrote glowingly about how Donna was filled with compassion for others and exemplified humanity through her good deeds. Yeah, very difficult to take an individual's life, but probably also weigh on you more that you didn't get to your wife's defense sooner. Let's take a look at who the uh, wingers are in their family and, and what we can learn about them, because the detectives were inclined to write up their incident reports reflecting the events as Mark Winger had related them to them. But of course, they had to do their due diligence, right? They took some time to look into Mark and Donna Winger. Mark was a first cousin of the actress Deborah Winger. Deborah has been in a bunch of stuff, but notably she played Sissy Davis in one of my favorite old movies, Urban Cowboy. Now, Mark Winger himself was a real success story. Mark graduated from Virginia Military Institute with a degree in physics and then served in active duty in Korea. After his service was up, he remained in the Army Reserves even while working as an engineer for the state of Illinois. He was making $62,000 a year. Mark and Donna met in Florida in 1987. They were married in 1989 and moved to Springfield from South Florida in 90 or 91. They had tons of friends, and their friends and family all told detectives the same thing. Mark and Donna loved each other and had a special bond. 
quote, it was very apparent that he and his wife were very much in love and that this should never have happened. This was even stated in the report. This is a directly from the report written by detective Cox. So as you can see, they're a bit of a power couple here, captain, uh, both, both successful individuals. Kind of like us. They have a, yes, uh, they have a, a great marriage and now finally they have their baby. So as said, these wingers are thrilled that they finally brought home Bailey baby or sorry. The wingers are thrilled that they finally brought home baby Bailey because they tried for three years to have a baby of their own. The adoption was still technically officially pending at the time of Donna's murder. But as far as the wingers were concerned, Bailey was their child. Donna was on maternity leave from work and spent her time caring for the newborn. On the murder, sorry, on the morning that she died, she actually brought Bailey to Mark's office to introduce the baby to all of his coworkers. So this was supposed to be a happy day, a normal, busy working Tuesday. An additional testamentary to the winger's wholesomeness Detectives quickly learned that they were very active in the local Jewish community and within their temple. This is Temple Berith. This is Temple Berith Shalom. While detectives were questioning Mark, in fact, his his and Donna's rabbi, Mark Datz, was present, offering consolation and comfort to the very distraught husband. It seems like everybody's testimony points to the idea that this is a loving couple. They were starting their family together. They were both successful. And then tragedy hit. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless. 
with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, we're back. That's a little nod to uh, Stabbing Westward. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I miss the Stabbing Westward. That was a good band. Do you hear it a little bit? Uh, of course I hear it. Yeah. Cheers, everyone. Now, as for the crime scene here, Captain, really it looks like there was only a couple things that were called into question. Uh, one thing that gave detectives pause was that the hammer used by Roger Harrington to strike Donna came from within the winger's home. It belonged to the wingers. So this seemed to be one of maybe just two mysteries in the case and what should be a pretty open and shut case. But of course, we're going to wonder why Roger Harrington didn't bring his own hammer or his own choice of weapon to the scene of the murder. But then again, it also seems likely that Roger Harrington did not come to the home with the intention of bludgeoning Donna to death or even attacking anyone because it was thought that he had confronted her or wanted to confront her with his feelings. And then at some point, maybe she rejected him or they get into an argument and then he grabs the hammer. Right. But of course, police want to know, well, why is the hammer there lying around to be grabbed by an assailant in the first place? Well, that is easily answered. So Donna had taken the hammer out of the toolbox and left it out on the dining room table. This as a reminder to Mark that he was to hang a hat rack that Donna recently purchased. Right. The detectives understood this often having received gentle reminders from their own wives to get things done around their own homes. Now, as for the gun, of course, it made sense that Mark would set it down on the table before grabbing Donna in his arms. As said, the police found the gun on the table. He says you can hear him say on 911 that the gun is on the table. 
Of course, the the 911 operator wants to figure that out in advance. If she can pass that along to the officers, the responding officers, hey, that there's nobody holding a gun uh, when you walk into this home. Right. Another thing that was strange was that there was no sign of forced entry into the house. So how Roger got into the house, we don't really know. Uh, we don't know exactly why he was there, and this is something that was stated by the Springfield police. Well, yeah, because if you have these harassing calls and then this gentleman shows up to your house, you would assume that you wouldn't let him in. Right. So Mark tells the detectives that, hey, you know, he reminds them this is it's daytime and, you know, this is a, f- a family friendly, safe neighborhood. He and Donna, he said, were not in the habit of locking their doors while they were home, awake, and moving around the house. You know, they would kind of check the doors before going to bed. Let me just give everybody a nice little piece of advice here. Lock your doors. Yeah. So using the information gathered from A, Mark, B, Donna's note, C, Supporting information from her family and all the testimonials about the winger's marriage and upstanding moral character. And finally, D, what they learned about Roger Harrington and his alter ego, Dom, telling him to hurt people and the strange, heavy breathing phone calls being made to the winger home. Detectives quickly concluded the following. On the day of the deaths, Harrington drove over to the winger's home. He parked outside and somehow got Donna to answer the door, either let him in or maybe he forced his way in. Maybe she opens the door, tells him to leave, and then he forces his way in. Right. At some point, he grabs the hammer off of the table in a rage, and he hit Donna in the back of the head as she tried to flee from him. The autopsy reflected that Donna had seven blows to the back of her head, all caused by a hammer when Donna fell to the floor it caused the thud that Mark heard from in the basement while he's on the treadmill he runs up the stairs discovers what's going on and he shoots Roger Harrington to death trying to protect his wife or 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 stop the attack on his wife but as you point out and as we know captain unfortunately it was just too late One of the things that I've always thought was strange about how they tried to piece together how Harrington got into the house was they found a coffee cup or a coffee mug and his cigarettes at the dining room table. Right. You'd think that would be a a weird way to, like, force yourself into the house. You you never see in a movie, hey, let me in. And, by the way, I got some coffee I don't want to spill, and I'm also holding my cigarettes. Well, and I think that's why they question if possibly Donna had let him in for some reason, or maybe he discovers the, the door unlocked. Right. But now she is deceased, so she can't tell us. And Mark was downstairs. So we just don't know. Yeah. And I think to me, that kind of backs up the idea that maybe he wasn't there with the intention to harm or kill when he first gets there, as you pointed out, bringing the coffee mug and cigarettes to the home with him and setting them down inside. But I think what we have here though, too, captain, when you're looking at this is that it seems like it's, it's a case of deadly obsession that at some point, yeah, Roger Harrington, who seems to be already a loose cannon anyway, or at least a little derailed this based off of the conversation that he's having with Donna in the vehicle while he's driving her and the harassing phone calls, that maybe he did become somewhat obsessed with her or obsessed with getting revenge or some form. And now we have what looks to be Mark, who's justified in the taking of the life of the man who killed his loving wife and life partner. So this is just tragedy all around. Yeah, but in this safe community, they're going to start looking at Mark as a as a hero. One of the first newspaper articles covering the deaths, this is from September 6th in the Florida Sun Sentinel, read, quote, in a stunning act of violence that has scarred communities in Illinois and Florida, 
winger, age 31, was hammered to death last week by a limousine driver who six days earlier had shuttled her from St. Louis Airport to her Springfield, Illinois home. On the very day after the deaths, an attorney, the state's attorney, Patrick Kelly, announced that the state considered the slaying of Roger Harrington to be a case of justifiable homicide. Right. And so a coroner's jury found the same. Mark Winger would not be charged with anything. The forms were stamped, the evidence was boxed up, and the case was closed. Springfield police had investigated for a total of three days, you know, checking all the boxes, doing their due diligence. Mark Winger was sent home to take care of his new baby girl. His wife, Donna, was buried after a Jewish ceremony. Detective Cox went so far as to call Mark Winger a hero, like you said, Captain. And the public and the media agreed. But they did do autopsies on on both individuals. Correct. It's required by law. So this is the the aftermath part, the, the sad part, right, Captain? So after all of this, poor Mark is left alone. He's left to raise a baby on his own, mourn the loss of his wife, and maintain his job as an engineer. Seems like quite a bit. Seems like too much. Right. He sought financial relief by filing a claim under the Crime Victims Compensation Act and was awarded $25,000. Because he was ex-military, the USAA insurance paid out a $150,000 policy on Donna Winger. Mark used the funds to hire a full-time nanny for Bailey. He also put the house he and Donna had lived in on the market, saying that it was just too painful to stay there. Yeah, I mean, it's a crime scene. Yeah, I, it's, it's, it's going to be a constant reminder of the tragedy, of the loss. Yeah, but also what he had to do. I mean, it's, it's not like, yes, everybody wants to defend their loved ones, but it's not like there's not repercussions for doing so. Eventually, he got a promotion at work, um, rising to the title of Chief Supervisor of the Illinois Department of Nuclear Safety. Mark, he's trying to move on. He's, he's trying to rebuild his life, pick up the pieces and rebuild his life and continue on for his daughter going forward. Now, Mark told the same story each time. Anytime he was asked about this, by police or anyone else. He's telling the same story every time. He says he ran down the hall from the bedroom, and as he approached the dining room, this is when he says he saw Roger Harrington hitting Donna with the hammer. He said he fired his gun, his handgun, at Harrington twice. The first shot was from several feet down the hall, and it hit Roger Harrington in the head as Harrington's standing up. Roger Harrington falls backwards away from Donna. The second shot he fired right into Harrington's forehead as he tried to rise up from the floor. So a shot in the back of the head, and then when he turns around, a shot in the front of the head. Yes, and you asked about the autopsies, and there is a slight problem with Mark's story. So this problem is that the autopsy shows that Roger Harrington was first shot in the upper back of his head. So it, it's, it's not exactly spot on with Mark's story here. Now, the detectives, they pretty much chalk this up to, or I'm kind of guessing for them here, Captain. Maybe they likely check, chalk this up to Mark just misremembering I mean, this all this stuff's happening happening very fast. Right. It's jarring. He sees an attack on his wife. This is not anything that you expect to run into. You never expect to run into a situation like this. So if you don't get everything 100% correct, I think that it's easily understandable. You've been through the 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 bi the biggest tragedy of your life and now you're asked to give us a detailed statement of how the whole thing went down i put more weight to him not being able to remember because he shoots the man trying to protect his wife and then there's all these events that happen before he's able to tell police what happened 
So he's calling 911. He's checking on his wife. He's checking on the guy. He's trying to figure, you know, put the pieces together in his head. What the hell just happened? It's a flurry of activity and Mark likely just misremembering the details in the blur of the event. Perhaps Roger Harrington was bending over Donna and that's how Mark first shot him in, in the back of the head. But that was hardly the only inconsistency and detective Williamson began to feel uneasy, very uneasy about this whole situation. There was this nagging feeling at him that there was something missing from the story, or there was some puzzle piece that wasn't fitting in with the overall crime scene and the overall activities of this situation. Another thing that didn't really add up was the timing between the two gunshots on the 911 call. Mark can be heard saying that the guy on the floor has a bullet in his head. Right. Remember Mark told the police that he shot Roger Harrington twice in quick succession. Boom, boom. Forensic files reports that a neighbor heard two gunshots so this backs up Mark's story, right? but not exactly because the neighbor says, I heard two gunshots and they were roughly about five minutes apart. So not boom, 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 four and a half, five minutes go by and then boom again. Well, it's more like boom, you know, go make a cup of coffee, have a cigarette and then, and then come back and shoot him again. So the problem with that is pretty obvious. If that all is true, then it calls into question Mark's facts of how things went down and how and when did the second bullet get fired into Roger Harrington. I mean, that's a big one where I'm just going to put a clip, oh, yeah. you know, just put a little flag up and go, okay, again, but this eyewitness, maybe she, maybe she's misremembering. The shell casings found at the scene were also problematic. Mark told detectives that he had shot at Roger Harrington while Mark, while he, Mark, was in the hallway outside the dining room. These shell casings from Mark's gun ejected backward. Yet the two casings were found in the dining room on the carpeted floor. So this, you know, you factor in physics and all that good stuff, and this is really just an impossibility if Mark's story were true. These shell casings should not have been found in that dining room. Yeah, but what we know from Mark is he is moving around. He tells the 911 operator that he's checking in on his kid. He's checking in on his wife. He holds his wife. Once he goes and touches his wife, he already contaminated the crime scene. So it's not unreasonable to think that he didn't maybe kick the shell casings. I, I mean, I guess, but, uh, that that's whether I, I, he must've done it unknowingly. I, I don't know. I, I'm just calling into question what the detectives are seeing right. at the scene and what they're, they're calling just putting in a little question. pin in it saying, Hey, this is a little suspicious. The detective spoke to other folks who lived in the trailer where 27 year old Roger Harrington was renting a room and they told the police that they were fairly certain that Roger Harrington had gotten a phone call that morning, and it was from Mark Winger. Now, you'll recall that Mark told police that, yeah, he had called Roger Harrington and warned him, saying, hey, stay away from my family. Quit calling us. Quit harassing us. Stay away from my family. And we know that he called Roger Harrington's boss and asked for Harrington's phone number so he could call him directly and tell him to leave his wife alone. So that doesn't seem to be such a big deal, but the roommates said, no, that was not what Roger Harrington told them about the phone call. Trisha Ray, whose mom owned the trailer told police that she was certain that Roger Harrington told her that Mark called him and invited him over to his home to discuss the complaint that Mark made to Harrington's employer. Harrington wanted to make peace with Mark so he could keep his job. And Trisha said he was eager to go to that meeting.
I want to thank everybody for joining us here in the garage and everybody that joined us at BrewDog last weekend. We had an amazing time. If you'd like to hear about that, we talked about it on this week's Off the Record. You can find that at TrueCrimeGarage.com. We also talked about some of the comments that Doug Carter made about the Delphi murder. So if you're not subscribed to Off the Record, then you ain't nasty and you need to get hip to it. Also, we sent out a promo code for the next two weeks at 25% off. If you're on the mailing list but you didn't get an email, that means that you put in an invalid email into that. So you have to you'll have to re-sign up. I had to delete about 2,000 invalid emails. So you want to check that out. So much more to get to in this case tomorrow. Colonel? We got so much more to get to in this case Until then, be good, be kind, and don't live. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com.